The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. Amen. So we're continuing our study in Mark, and next week we will begin our Christmas series, The Wonder of Christmas. Today, it's just a simple little title, Living Faith, and it comes from Mark chapter 4. As I was preparing for this message today, I was thinking about uh, the autumn of 1978. I was returning to the King's College for my senior year, and I was the president of my class. I was a youth pastor for a church in Austin, New York, and I was a resident assistant, an RA, which meant I got to go around and charge money to those who didn't clean their rooms and other assorted things. And so Dr. Cook had asked me to speak to my fellow resident assistants. And as I was preparing for that, I was drawn to this glorious passage uh, from God's Word in the book of Philippians, where the Apostle Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And it occurred to me that what Paul's describing here is present tense Christianity, present tense faith. It's about pressing on today, forgetting what's behind, the success and the failures. It's under the blood, it's forgiven, and pressing forward to what is yet ahead. And it seems to me that as we've been reading in Mark, we're to one of those stories now where the teaching is completed, and now we're going to test. Because you and I, our faith will be tested. And hear the text for today from Mark chapter 4. I begin reading at verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, obviously the story is about faith. The story is about where is our faith and how do we exhibit faith? And it's a life experience. So my heart was drawn back to Hebrews chapter 1 and um, verse 11, which again describes for us Faith, it's a definition the writer of Hebrews gives us. Now, faith, by the way, the word noun faith appears almost 300 times in the New Testament in the NIV translation. 
And um, there are parallel statements here. Faith is confidence in what we've hoped for and assurance about what we do not see. So taking that together, I want to point out a couple words that are really important here. The first word, confidence, is a word that means substance. The very essence of faith is what we yet hope for. If you have it, you, you, you have it, you see it. But when you are operating by faith, it hasn't come yet. Okay, so it's what you're hoping for in the future that God will supply. And that's the essence of faith. And then it's the assurance, he says, about what you do not see. Now, here there are two words used. The first word, assurance, means foundation or is used in other contexts of the title deed. If you have the title deed for a property, you own it. It's already yours. The title deed of our convictions, of our deep-seated convictions of what is not yet seen. And I add the word yet because I think that fits with the context. It's the title deed. You already have it, but you don't see it yet. It's an already but not yet truth. That's why biblical faith is a certainty. It's not a, I hope so, you know. It's a certain hope that we see described, and it's tied back to God's word. I would summarize it this way. A certain confidence of future based on the present and past convictions of the promise of God. It's really based on his promise. Faith's only as good as its object. If you, if you have faith in yourself, good luck. You have faith in your bank account, even less luck, right? But when you have faith in Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, you have faith in one who is faithful, and you can be certain of him watching over you. Now, it's very important because these, this verse is preceded by some very strong words, the writer says. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? This is chapter 10, verse 32. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Wow. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. Maybe that's the key word for faith. Persevere, hanging in there, being steadfast. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And But my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Don't shrink back. Don't shrink back. 
Now, this faith, this assurance, this title deed of what we haven't yet seen was what the ancients were commended for, our fathers who went before us. And there's a great cloud of witnesses of people who went before us, who lived by faith right up to the very end, see? And so in the context, he talks about creation. We, we believe by faith. And again and again, the phrase by faith, by faith, it becomes the noun that's now an action word. It's a verb. By faith, we believe creation was created out of nothing. God just spoke and there it was. Hallelujah. We believe that by faith. By faith, Abel offered better sacrifices than Cain. By faith, Enoch was walking with God one day and says, hey, let's go to my house. And he was no more. It's a rapture. <laughs> That's what happened to Enoch. He was no more. And he was in heaven. And so verse 6 summarizes this in a very wonderful way. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that he is, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So that's what faith is. That's the biblical definition of faith. Faith is built on the truth of the teaching, but it grows through life experiences, doesn't it? It isn't just enough to study, to memorize, to even meditate on God's word. It has to be put into practice. This is like Christianity 101, Right here in Mark chapter 4. Because now the preaching is done and it's time to put to practice faith. Let's review the events in this faith expanding experience recorded in Mark chapter 4. That painting is the painting that Rembrandt did of this experience of the apostles. It's the one Rembrandt that was stolen out of a museum, and we don't know where it is today. Uh, it's, it's somebody's got it, but it's amazing. So I, I love that picture because it's such a great picture of the boat and all the water coming in and very, very dramatic. So the first event is this. Jesus casts a vision. <laughs> it's pretty simple. That day, it's the same day that he had preached those parables that we've already looked at. And when the evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. He's casting the vision. He's the one giving the orders. He's the one that they are to obey. And it was given in the evening at the end of the day. And they're exhausted. And he's exhausted. And remember, seven of the 12 apostles were fishermen. They've been on this lake before. So pff, it's not any big deal. Okay, we'll go to the other side. Not going to be hard. Sometimes God calls us to do hard things. Sometimes it doesn't seem that hard. But it's essential that we take our orders and direction personally and as a church from Jesus Christ. We don't have the right to say, okay, Lord, I got this plan. Will you please bless it? No, no. It doesn't work that way. And, and, and he's the head of the body. That's the beauty of Ephesians, which we looked at last year. What a great, great book. You know, he was appointed to be head over everything for the church. He is the head. The church exists because he created it. And he's the head. He's the leader. He's the master. He's the Lord of all lords. And he's the head 
of his body. So when we sit down as elders or as individuals and we're thinking about what does God want me to do, that's how we begin. We don't just plan for ourselves. We consider what God would say. Secondly, the disciples obey Jesus' orders. So far, so good. They do exactly what he said. Leaving the crowds behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So it would appear that the boat wasn't large enough for them all to go in, so there were some other boats that were coming along with them. And this is the pattern. You obey what Jesus says, and he got into the boat. The pulpit now became a boat because <laughs> he had been teaching, perhaps even from this very boat. In Matthew, it says Jesus got in the boat first. Again, he's leading. He's the master. We follow him. Now, back in 1986, they're digging around in the mud around the Sea of Galilee, and they actually found a boat structure that had been preserved in the mud that dates from the first century. Isn't that amazing? They actually found a very boat that would be very much like this one that they were in. Now, whenever Jesus gives you commands, what are you supposed to do? You obey them. You follow them. Very good. That's what he said. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people or I will make you fishers of men. Don't you love John 10? My sheep, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I want to ask you, are you one of his sheep? By that definition, are you listening to the Lord? Are you following him? You say, I'm doing it by faith. Yes, that's the way we do it. But look at the next verse. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What a safe place to be following Jesus Christ, doing what he calls me to do. Wow. So far, so good. Uh-oh, we come to verse 37. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. The Greek word is seismos. It's the way we gauge earthquakes. It's like a hurricane. And the topography of the Sea of Galilee has high on one side. In fact, Mount Hermon isn't that far away. And the winds come over. And these squalls blow up even today on the lake very quickly. And they're very strong. And it's like the mother of all storms. And um, behold, it showed up. It was furious. It's like a hurricane, waves and water crashing on the boat. They're in real danger. Now, the thing that bothers me about this is when I'm obeying Jesus, I expect it to be smooth sailing. See, I don't understand why all of a sudden, in the middle of obeying Jesus, whoosh, a furious storm blows in. But isn't that just like the Lord Jesus? Did he not know that a storm was blowing in? Yes, he did. <laughs> the disciples cry to Jesus for help. Good job. That's what they should do. <laughs> Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. 
Are you kidding me? Water's breaking in, the boat's tossing, and he's asleep. Out of exhaustion, probably, because he had been teaching all day. Shows his humanity, doesn't it, huh? There he is asleep. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? <laughs> I never did anything like that. Yes, I did. Master, we're perishing. Lord, save us. That's the way Matthew says it. It's great to turn to Jesus because he's always in your boat. And by the way, you don't have to wake him up. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. No matter how strong the storm is around you, he is with you. He abides forever. It's great to turn to Jesus any day, every day, especially in the middle of a storm. When everything seems out of control and chaotic, he brings peace and deliverance. Does he care? Are you kidding me? Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. At the King's College where I went, George Andrew Laws III was there. He was a friend of mine, and whenever he wrote you a note, he never put take care at the end, he put cast care from this verse. You don't have to take care, cast them. Cast them on the one who cares for you. He might say, well, I don't feel like he cares for me, but he does. His perspective has not changed. You're his sheep. You're his child. He cares for you. So cry out to him. Pray to him in any and all circumstances because he's in your boat. He's available. Oh, I love the picture in Revelation of the prayers of God's people. This is so amazing, Revelation 5. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. When you and I pray, it's sending incense to God. It smells good. He's pleased with it. And... Chapter 8 says they were given much incense to offer. Hey, you've been sending some incense to heaven? Have you been praying? Do you understand that God is so pleased with this? It's a pleasing aroma to him, and it makes it all the way to heaven. You say, man, I prayed. I didn't think it got past the ceiling. Oh, yes, it did. Oh, yes, it did. You prayed simply in Jesus' name. Lord, do you care? We're all going to drown. He heard it. He hears you. He hears me. You know, when we get to the Bema seat of Christ, none of us will say, you know what, I prayed too much. Nobody's going to say that. We're going to say, oh, I wish I'd been exercising my faith and crying out to the Lord. That storm was so big, I didn't see it coming. I thought I was prepared for anything. And I cried out, and Jesus delivers his disciples. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still, muzzle yourself. 
It's the same thing he said to the demons. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. In fact, that being said, you know, there's a chance that there's demonic activity happening here. It's like as I've been reading the book of Job, you know, none of Job's friends seem to realize that Satan was involved. And I think that happens sometimes. And it seems like maybe in this storm it was like that. Satan was trying to dissuade them. Satan was trying to get their eyes off Jesus, but he was in the boat. And he very quietly and very simply rebuked the winds and the waves, and ten minutes later it calmed down. No. Immediately. Immediately. It was calm. And the wind stopped, and the waves stopped, and he got up. It's such a beautiful, beautiful picture. And he addresses their need, and then he addresses them. Now, this is the part of the story that really is the key of the whole story, is it not? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so timid? Matthew says the rebuke of Jesus came before the stilling of the storm. Kind of interesting. There's a real danger in timidity. Revelation 21.8 says, those who are timid and cowardly will experience the second death. Strong word. In John 14.27, peace I leave with you, Jesus said, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Don't be timid. 2 Timothy 1.7, for the spirit... God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Where's your faith? That's really a good question. Their faith should be in the one who promised we're going to the other side. You see, by his word, he had already told them we're going to the other side, and they're in the middle of the storm saying, you were going to drown. You're going to die with us. No. No. We are not people without problems. We have storms. You can't deny it. But we've got the problem solver living within us. See? That's the difference. We have the one who controls the seas and the lands and everything else. And so we will walk by faith in him. This is called life on the planet. All right? And it's Christianity 101. Trust in Jesus. Some years ago, there was a movie called Seven Days in Utopia. And it's a golf movie. So I had to bring in a golf illustration. All right? See it. Feel it. Trust it. See it. Visualize it. You know, you're going to hit that shot. See it with your eyes before you hit it. And of course, I always see good shots, not bad shots. Right? And then feel it. Just feel it. Feel it in your, in your body. And then trust it and take the swing. And then it goes in the water like you thought. No. <laughs> see it. Feel it. Trust it. Visualize it. How many of you are visualizing Problems, struggles, 
and losses instead of victories. The other day I'm taking a nap and I wake up and I'm, as I'm waking up, I'm dreaming I had a car accident. And I ran into a car. And as I'm waking up, I'm like, no, no, this is just a dream. <laughs> Thankfully, it was. But sometimes you're at storm. You were trying to obey Jesus and you thought it would be smooth sailing and all of a sudden it got worse. Trust him. Trust him. See it, feel it, trust him. See? It's a good lesson. I don't know if it helps my golf game, but it certainly helps my faith. <laughs> Finally, the climax of the whole story, they worship in Jesus. This was really the point from the beginning, wasn't it? They were terrified. They were in awe of him. They were worshiping him and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. If my love for Jesus, my worship of my Savior grows, it's worth the storm. It's worth it. Hallelujah. I grow in my faith. I grow in my trust. Even though it wasn't easy, even though I didn't see it coming, I can now trust the one who's in control. Appreciation and love for our Savior when he intervenes. Sometimes it takes some time. It doesn't happen instantaneously. But he's still in the boat. So don't forget that. A little girl was uh, very excited to show her growth to her daddy. He had been away on a vacation for a long time. She said when he left, Daddy, when you come back, we're going to measure me again. And as soon as he showed up, she said, Come on, Daddy, put me, measure, measure, measure. And sure enough, she had grown some. And then she asked this question, Daddy, why do big people stop growing? <sighs> That's a loaded question. Why do we stop growing? Why do we abandon faith rather than put it into practice? Well, why do we forget that he's in the boat with us when the storm hits? Why, why are we not praying as we once did? I'm so thankful that we prayed for Israel last week, and I'm so thankful there was release of some of those who were captured. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? We need to pray and keep praying. It's not time to give up. It's not time to shrink back. It's time to exercise faith personally and as a people. And by the way, one of my good commentaries, Philip Hughes, says this. Faith is the blessing which comes through trustful confidence in the promise of God and persevering obedience to his word. That sounds like a theologian's definition. But it's a good one. It's tied to his word. Faith is only as good as its object. If you have faith in yourself, good luck. If you have faith in your bank account, you have less luck. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in the one who commands the seas and the winds and can deliver you. We maintain our faith and win through to life, F.F. Bruce said. So what's the threatening storm? You're in the storm. You're in the boat. The water's crashing in. What can you learn about Jesus in this storm? Ask yourself that question. It's a good question to ask, especially when it all comes so suddenly and you didn't expect it. And how can I apply his promises during this storm? What, what promises can I apply? I remember years and years ago, a little boy in my church, four years old, 
had a massive amount of cancer in his body. He was just playing one day, he fell down, he started bleeding. His whole kidney was encompassed with cancer and we were in the hospital and we're praying and it was, it was so hard and, and we kept singing the song day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to help my trials here. And I remember the doctor came in after the surgery and he looked at the father and he, he, he didn't have very good bedside manner, but he was a great surgeon. <laughs> and he said, your son will be okay. And he is. They said he'd never have children. He's got like five or six. They said it would stun his growth. He's about six, five. I don't know how tall he would have been. <laughs> but God saw him through. It doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes our loved ones are called home to heaven. But for a believer, what a victory it is when you pass from this life to an eternity with the Lord Jesus. So, Faith is a lifelong journey. And I don't want a mild case of faith in Jesus. I'm just saying, I don't want a mild case. <laughs> I want a big case. And God, grow our faith. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity we've had today to look at a life experience. It's one thing to hear sermons and parables and even understand them, but then you take us through life. And yes, you're always in the boat. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Lord, help us to cry out to you early and often. Praying for vision for what you have us to do and then trusting you even when the sailing isn't so smooth and we're on the lake and the storm blows in. Lord, some of us here are in the middle of a storm right now. Lord, help us to cry out to you to not give up faith, but to let our faith grow to show that we're growing even in the midst of testing. And I thank you, Lord, for the great and wonderful answers to our prayers. Our incense has reached your heavens and you have intervened. Hallelujah, 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 amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.